Sunday, April 8th, 2017, marked the end of an era, but the beginning of a hopeful and resolute new chapter for members of the Catholic Church in the north end of Hartford. As two become one, St. Michael Church held its final mass at its location on Clark Street. Established in 1900, St. Michael is now merged with St. Justin to form St. Justin St. Michael Parish. The site of the former St. Justin Church on Blue Hills Avenue is the new home for St. Justin St. Michael. What you're hearing now are the members of this parish proudly processing through the North End on Palm Sunday, singing songs of praise with a renewed sense of hope, community, and faith. This is the Pastoral Planning Podcast. This is family. It's not about the building. It's about the family. And what we want to do is be able to transfer that feeling of family and spirituality over to our new location. What we have here, we're just going to move it and transfer it to our new home parish. And joining together with also, you know, St. Justin's um, members, We'll, we know it'll work. We're going to work, make it work. And um, we're not going to give up. And we're just going to keep moving. It's Palm Sunday at St. Michael, where a final Mass is underway. We just heard from choir member and Eucharistic minister Marsha Berkson whose daughter has come all the way from Boston to witness the last celebration at the church in which she was raised. Though it is an emotional and reflective day for many, all are thankful for the gift of their faith as the church raises their voices to sing, We've Come This Far By Faith. As all within the parish were aware, this process had been in the works for over a year. Father Emmanuel Ehemedou explained the impetus for this merger and how he and his parishioners collaborated and sacrificed for a successful end goal. We are where we are today because it's a collective effort, you know, so, um, but it is important that before you embark on this kind of project uh, that you know your people, you know your audience. And one of the things that I did was to make sure that I knew all the people that I invited to serve on this committee. I met them one-on-one. I was able to know about your family, know about your passion, know their skills, know those who have leadership skills. And from the one-on-one, I was able to tell about your faith, you know. And it was obvious to me that if I am open to them, if I'm transparent with them, that they will be objective when they look at the numbers, you know. Um, these are people who love their individual churches right. and willing to die for it. 
but I also knew that there was something deeper, you know. And prior to calling them together, I also I started bringing the churches together. Efforts were made to cross-pollinate ministries. So Eucharistic ministers from St. Justin will serve at St. Michael. Those from St. Michael will serve at St. Justin's. Um, ushers, I will alternate them. Lectors, I will alternate them. Uh, I also, the, the goal was to make sure that they are not attached to one particular building. And then I started doing a neighborhood masses. So every summer we'll have six masses in people's homes. Yes. So three from St. Michael, three from St. Justin's. Mm -hmm. And after that we have cookout. Mm -hmm. Okay. So everybody goes there. Now, the idea is to make sure that they are not focused on the building. And you're bringing them together, St. Justin, St. Michael folks, they know, they start knowing each other, you know. Mm -hmm. So, and then Easter Freedom, I made sure that it was one. I made the argument that I am a member of the family, that they are my family. And I didn't want them to choose, to put me in a position to choose which of the family to celebrate the height of our liturgical celebration. Right. You know, so why bring an Eastern priest to come and celebrate the Mass when you have me, when we could be in one place? So, so that we have Easter Freedom, we have neighborhood Masses, we have ministries going back and forth. Um, we have revivals, you know, all, every, every Lent, and we move it from one church to the other. So I would say that even though the actual pastoral planning started a year ago on the 17th of March of last year, but since eight years I've been here, the idea has been to bring people together. Okay. So by this time, by the seventh year, it's a, a lot easier. You have, you have earned your place among them. They know you and, and they know that you love them. You know. So... So that's actually what happened on, in the background. Now, when I brought them together, I showed them the statistics. I said, this is where you used to be. This is where you are now. And, this, and the question is, where do you want to go? Okay. This is what you used to have. This is what you have. And where do you want to go? What do you want to have? That I used to have it is not a property. Okay, that you used to have it, you don't have it anymore. So, and I, I said to them, well, that future, you're going to craft it. But I'll be here. If you need my support, I'll be here. But it's your church. I'm a priest, I'm assigned here. The bishop can move me tomorrow. But the parish is yours. And I showed them also the report from the archdiocese that indicated that both of our churches were in trouble financially. They, both of them were in the lowest probability to remain uh, the way they were. Um, and I said, what do you want to do? And they made a commitment to meet every week. Every single week we met. And then when we meet, I will make sure that I have St. Justin and St. Michael folks to do one-on-one. -on -one. Right. And my, I'll give them two questions. What are your fears in this process? And what are your hopes? Mm. Yeah. And from that one-on-one, -on -one, they started knowing each other. Yeah. And so it was a lot easier. Even when we have difficult topic to discuss, um, people could discuss it with someone 
without getting upset. And, and also recognize that I'm talking to somebody I know, somebody I could take out for lunch. Sure. You know, somebody I would go out for lunch with, somebody I could go to the movies with, you know. So because you know each other. Right. You know. I do believe, you know, Hosea chapter 4 verse 6 says, My people are perished because of lack of knowledge. Whenever there is lack of knowledge, you know, you have ignorance and ignorance breeds fear. And whenever there is fear, there is tension. Whenever there is tension, there is lack of love. And when you don't have love, you don't have unity. Yeah. So by dispelling the darkness of ignorance, what happens? Fear is gone, tension is reduced, mm -hmm. and people get to know each other, mm -hmm. and they love, and we, we have unity. I also tried as much as possible in every homily to emphasize the prayer of our Lord Jesus. Father, may they be one in the same way you and I are one. Mm -hmm. so, so these are some of the things I did. Sure. And then when we meet, I have, I have co-chairs, one from St. Justin, one from St. Michael. Mm -hmm. um, they, they crafted the, the, the PowerPoint presentation that we gave to the whole church. Mm -hmm. uh, by July 30th, we had a meeting at St. Thomas Seminary. We brought eight, 80 people, 40 from St. Justin, 40 from St. Michael. We gave the same presentation that my faithful 10 have crafted um, with my approval and we took questions from people and they unanimously voted to be merged and they also unanimously voted to worship in one building by that time we didn't know the building but they agreed that they want to be one and then from there we went on okay how do we come up with a new name and then we came up, we asked people to vote. We gave them canonically uh, the parameters, what, what name they can choose and what they cannot choose. And then we allowed them to vote. St. Justin St. Michael carried the highest vote. And then we went into, okay, where do we go? <laughs> this is the biggest part of it. And everybody wants, everybody talks of Job, you know, but nobody wants to be Job. <laughs> you know? So, and I said to them, this is where the test of your faith comes. So, honestly, I asked them, I said, what's your presumption? Which church do you presume will be closed and which one do you presume will be our new location? Mm -hmm. You could see how they went through the St. Justin, St. Michael. Yeah. So I said, uh-oh, <laughs> does it mean that something is I missed something along the way but someone from St. Michael started and made an argument for St. Justin to be the main church she said my heart is broken as I say it but look at all of this look at the financial record look at the buildings look at the location look at where our priest lives look at the number of the sacramental data and besides most of us at St. Michael you know we don't live in the area we drive 90% of our drive and so by speaking everybody it's everybody got involved and I said to them well my presumption is that we're going to go to St. Justin's uh, after I listened to all of them and the reason is because our people already have that feeling. Mm -hmm. 
since my eight years, they know what they have, what they don't have. I have always run a very transparent finance council, show them what they have. And I said, I don't want to give them a false hope. This is where leadership comes in. So, so I came in and I said, when you give people false hope, it can become a point of resistance and they can hold on to it. But we're going to go with the presumption. Based on all of these things that we have talked about, we're going to go with the presumption that St. Justin is going to be our new location here and St. Michael will be the closing church. And we're going to go with that and present it to the church and take questions. We presented it, I believe, on the 20... Last week, I believe it was last week in January or so, first week, first weekend in February, I'm not sure, I can't remember again. But we presented it. When it was, when it got to that time, I did the, that part of the presentation. And I took questions from them. Uh, but completely honest, why we presume that St. Michael will be the closing church, you know. And then I said, okay, the next thing we're going to do is, we know people are going to be hurting, people are going to be angry, and they're going to go through the grieving stages. There will be denial, there will be anger, there will be, you know, a bargaining, there will be depression involved, then there may be acceptance. We don't know. But in order to help them, we're going to start a, a, a grief support group. And I brought in a friend of mine who has LPC, who is an LPC, licensed professional counselor, because I didn't want to be their pastor and be their therapist. Okay. I can't have that kind of dual relationship, and I don't think any priest should you know, be their pastor and allow another professional to handle that. But I attend every week I attend it. So to be able to answer some questions, you know, that I don't want my parishioners thinking that I was hiding something, you know. So I was there to answer those questions. And finally, the good thing about that session is, about those sessions, when they are angry and they're able to tell me how they feel, I don't have to be defensive because I, I have been honest with them. And so what do I do? I validate their experience, I normalize their feelings, and I hug them. I, I must confess that the therapy sessions have brought us so close. That has really brought, the, I mean, has cemented the relationship I have with my parishioners. Because they know there is nothing to hide. You've been honest with them, and you trust them enough that they can make those kind of decisions. For the homily portion of the two-and-a-half-hour celebration, Father Celsus Marcellus Auguiste offered a rousing reminder of Catholic identity and of not allowing faith to be shackled to earthly entities such as buildings. Father Celsus is Caribbean, one of the more prominent ethnicities of this diverse parish, which serves many African-American Catholics in the area. In 1945, Fathers John Laughlin and Robert D. McGrath of St. Thomas Seminary had petitioned then-Bishop Henry J. O'Brien to establish a center for African-American Catholics on North Main Street in Hartford. 
The result was the establishment of St. Benedict Center on March 5, 1948. In 1962, the Archdiocese closed St. Benedict Center, and parishioners merged with St. Michael Parish, solidifying a faithful community of black Americans living in Hartford. If any in the room still felt overly sentimental about leaving the St. Michael Parish church building behind, Father Celsus emphatically converted them towards turning the page and looking to the future. The day after, we must not walk with sober faces. The day after, 
was understanding. You see, Hartford will not change, you know, because, I mean, look at Hartford. The building was all those years, and we still have crimes on. You know what I'm saying? So Hartford will not change simply because you have a building. So Hartford will not change because you have a church building, or you come to a particular church building. Notice I'm saying building because church is a people. Hartford will change when the people become a church. Church in the family. Yes, that's right. When we truly become church, not just having a building there, because the pastor is straight and easy. Hello? Don't they? They sure do. The pastor is straight anyway. So the building doesn't mean anything to them. It will mean something. As we marched through the streets of the North End, a sense of jubilation was in the air. Onlookers flashed peace signs as members of the parish passed out palms on what felt like the first truly warm day of the year. As we approached the new St. Justin St. Michael Parish, seemingly a mile high in its magnificent Art Deco architecture, Father Ahemedou hoisted the Eucharist to the faithful and prayerfully entered the building. At this point, it has been over a year since the members of St. Justin St. Michael began their pastoral planning journey. Father Ahemedou and Faithful 10 member Vernette Townsend both expressed a great deal of optimism for the future of their parish. I am, I am very hopeful. You know, they say uneasy lies the, the head that wears the crown. It has been very emotional for me because one part of my church is losing a building and the other church doesn't know how to respond to it and I am in the mix of it. But with our revival that started since Friday, we had a revival that ended around 10.30 p.m. And yesterday we had prayer breakfast, you know, with the message that Father gave us that God's grace is sufficient for us. Uh, I am optimistic, I'm hopeful that I have my family together and we can worship in one building. You know, our choir is excellent when they are united, when they sing. So we don't have to be divided, you know. So I am very hopeful uh, that we're going to have a thriving church. Um, so we're going to maximize our resources and invest in uh, invest in evangelization, in music, um, so that when people come to church, they not only hear the word, but they can also participate in the music. You know, you 
they feel good that they are in the presence of God, you know. So, so I'm very hopeful that we're going to make it because it's not by my might, it's not by my power, it is only by God's grace, you know. So, I, I am very optimistic it's going to work out. The work paid off, if you will, but we're not going to rest because what we felt today has to be carried forward. We're concerned um, about our Catholic Church, period. Not just St. Justice and St. Michael's, we knew that both churches were threatened with being closed. So in order for us to continue to promote what we believe in, as you can tell, we love our faith, we love being Catholic, and we need others to know that it's a good thing to be Roman Catholic. So as we come here, we'll celebrate for a little bit, because this feels awesome. I won't tell you that I've, I've not had sleepless nights, because I have. I've cried. I woke up this morning, I was shaking when I walked into that church because I was baptized there. That's how long I've been there. So I was shaking, but as soon as um, the, the Blessed Lord was exposed, the shaking stopped and the sun is shining. So I know that this is the right thing to do and we have more work to do. We have to meld these cultures so that we're strong. We have to keep this church full. Our goal, standing room only. And then we want our archdiocese to understand that it really isn't the building. We have got to save our Catholic faith. With their community strengthened and their faith reinvigorated, the members of St. Justin St. Michael can look to the future knowing that their perseverance and hard work will continue to pay off not only for themselves, but for other communities that may be embarking on a parish merger. This has been the first episode of the Pastoral Planning Podcast. Tune in next month for our second installment.